45, had I told you the chapter, that means no, that many people were turning. Isaiah 45. We'll read uh, verse 21, and then I would ask you to read with me verse 22 when we get down there, Isaiah 45. It says, Tell ye and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together who have declared this from ancient time. Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Read together, if you would, verse 22. Look unto me, and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. A lot of different things are proclaimed, but there's only one true and living God, the God who is revealed in the Bible. And uh, He's made that great statement, Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, every nation, every people, every time period, all the ends of the earth. There wasn't a different God back in the 1800s when some great revivals were going on than what we have now. It's the same God. And so He said, Look unto me and be saved. And uh, so that's this morning. I want to talk to you on the subject of look and look again. Look and look again. And uh, it's appropriate that we do so. Let me pray with you and we'll get started. Father, thank you for the good service we've had thus far. Now the Word of God's open. May I speak it clearly and right to the point of things. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated, please, if you would. We look unto Jesus for salvation if we are saved. I love the story of how Charles Spurgeon, noted preacher in the 1800s, how he got saved. Spurgeon was used in a unique way. He passed away at 56 years of age. He went home to be with the Lord. And prior to that, it's amazing the work that God had for him. He began pastoring at a very young age. And, and for most years of his ministry, there was not a building built that would hold the crowds which would come week in and week out to hear him preach. He suffered physically, had uh, gout so severely he couldn't walk, had other ailments. And as he pastored in London, and the uh, uh, weather in London is not exactly uh, uh, commodious for good health, and especially wasn't back then, he would have to be out of country. Uh, and by the end of his ministry, in some years, two to three months at a time, he would be out of his pulpit, and uh, he would choose different men to come in and preach. He had good laymen in the church who could run the business of the church, and the church continued and grew every year, every year, every year. But he counted how he came to know the Lord as a Savior. His grandfather was a nonconformist minister, which means he was not part of the Church of England. In America, we know them as the Episcopalian Church, the Anglican Church, but they are, uh, uh, at one point in time, it was illegal uh, not to be a part of that church. It was a state church. And it basically is the Roman Catholic Church without the Pope. I won't go into all the history of that. There was a point of division where the English king didn't want the Pope telling him he could or couldn't marry, could or could not marry or divorce somebody. And so he got rid of the Pope and set himself up as head of the church in England. And so that's how that nonsense went. But um, there were always still Bible believers who actually believed their Bible during that time, and they weren't part of that mess. 
and um, they were known as nonconformists because they would not go along with the state church. Well, he had grown up, Spurgeon had grown up with a, uh, with a, uh, a background of being around the Bible and the gospel and that sort of thing. And there was a particular snowy day when he wanted to hear gospel preaching and the churches in London were closed because of the weather. He mentioned going to different churches and chapels he knew that were open, would normally be open and they were closed because of this great snowstorm. And he kept going as a young man and he came to a primitive Methodist chapel. And he said when he got there, the pastor could not make it apparently. And there was a man there who was one of the elders of the church and was also an elderly man. And uh, Spurgeon sat in a place they called the gallery, which was an area like we have folks up here in our little balcony area here. And if that was open underneath and there were seating under that, that would be a gallery type area. Sort of like this is, but usually with seats above it. And uh, he sat under there and kind of hidden out of the way, so not to be noticed. And he said the fellow got up, had trouble speaking. He was not a speaker. He said, well, someone ought to read some Bible and speak. He said, our pastor can't make it. And he got up and he read the passage. Look unto me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth. And he got to talking about that. And then he said, young man, he said, back under the gallery, he says, look unto Jesus. And Spurgeon had been under conviction. And he said, as clear as anything, he said, I looked under Christ then and been looking the rest of my life. Why? Because he found out he could look and live. Look unto Jesus to be saved. People are looking for things, trying to figure out what to do. The lady visited yesterday that uh, Wesley and I visited, Christine, she just stopped it, and I'm uh, good hopes that we can be a help to her. I would love for her, and there's, uh, there's six children there that they could come to our church, and, and they, I think what all God could do for them at this pivotal time in their life, it could be amazing for them. But even if we don't get that opportunity, we want to be a help to them if we can. But the thing of it is, uh, I know yesterday she said, uh, she said to me, she said, I can't believe you came by. And I said, why is that? She said, well, today, she says, I just said to somebody, she said, uh, I was raised in church, which I knew that from witnessing to her before. And she said, uh, I said, man, I, I've got to figure out. I've got to figure out what to do. I've got to get in church. I've got to do this or that. And she said, and then you showed up on my doorstep. So she didn't come yet this morning. Well, could you come the first time you were invited somewhere? Well, the, uh, no, you, not everybody did, did they? So we just keep working on folks, don't we? Why? Because people need to look. But here's the thing about it. If, and, and I don't know, but if she's looking for a church, whether it be this church or some other church, as the answer, it has some answers and it's a good place to be, but she needs to make sure she's looking to Jesus. The fellow I talked to before I talked to her, he talked about background, and he had said, you've got to make sure you're looking to Jesus. Hey, what are you looking to? The first look. I said to the sermon is look and look again. We need to look unto Him be saved. If you haven't looked to Him for salvation, you're not saved. If you are in any way looking to yourself for part of your salvation, if you think it's Christ plus some deed, whether religious or otherwise, that you have done, you're not looking to Him. Because when you look to Him, you won't be looking somewhere else also. You're just looking to Him. Just looking to Him. Look! Look! Look to Him. The, uh, even the angels are happy about it. You heard them there, amen? Uh, <laughs> I heard somebody went off electronically. But look to Jesus. Look unto Him and be saved, all ye ends of the earth. Hey, the message you're taking to people that you work with. The people you're going, you know, I know, Daniel, where you work, you have people from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different religions. It's kind of a big melting pot of things right there with you, which is a good opportunity. The world's come to you. You don't have to leave to be a missionary. They've come to you. All you got to do is behave and do what you ought to do. And the thing of it is, what they need to do is look. I'm sure everyone has their arguments. Everyone wants to know why. Everyone wants to talk about their philosophy. 
everyone will come to you and uh, you know how this is. They want to talk to you about this or that. And I think this and I've been taught that. And what about this? And what about these people in these other countries? Isn't it silly people always do that? You get them real good and you know, getting in narrow with them, as I say. I'm not talking about being mean, but you're talking to them specifically about their soul. And they say, what about somebody hasn't heard? And I never let them get away with this. I'm not talking to somebody hasn't heard. I'm talking to you and you're hearing. Don't let them snow job you on this stuff. It's too warm for snow job. And then talking to somebody else. What about the, you're not them. You're hearing the gospel. What are you going to do with what you're hearing? Don't jive me. You're going to, what are you going to do with what you're hearing? I'm trying to figure out the great philosophies of the world and what about all these other people. God's able to take care of that. He's not left himself without a witness. Man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody think that the first page, and I'm not mad at these people, every time they've reported on something they need to report to with our church, they've actually reported honestly with us. But I'm not angry at the people with Life Strangle Gazette. Does anybody think the lead story to our morning is going to be good services held at Lighthouse Baptist Church? Gospel was preached, good singing was there. Does anybody think that's going to be the top story on the front page? Does anybody think Columbus, Columbus Dispatch is going to have as a front page story that some good church up there saw people saved, or maybe some people were fed, or maybe, some, maybe the gospel preached, and some good. Anybody think that's going to be the first page? Anybody? No, it's not going to be. So don't you be fooled into thinking that there's not a lot that God's doing that's just not getting reported. I'm not saying we're the majority. Never have been. Straight as the game airs the way. Few there be that go in there at. I understand that. But you need to understand something. God's not left Himself without a witness. And belief in Christ is not an American thing. It's a world thing that God's interested in. It's one of the greatest hotspots for the Gospel going out in the world right now is the Philippines. They put us to shame. In fact, we have countries training to send missionaries here because we've become such a heathen nation. Won't that hurt our American pride? Amen. I will tell you something. Listen to me closely. Look unto me and be saved. I don't care what your background is. Well, I can't figure out all this. That's right. Now that you've admitted that, why don't we get down to basics and look unto Jesus? Well, I just don't know the answer. Good. I'm glad you admitted it. Now that you've admitted your limitation, will you please look unto the one that's not limited? Well, some things just don't make sense to me. Good. We've gotten past that now. So why don't you look unto Him? Say, well, I need to figure this all out. You will die, my friend, and go to hell trying to figure it all out. You need to look unto God and be saved by His mercy and His grace. It's that simple. Well, that's a simplistic approach. Isn't it amazing that God would make a way so simple that all of us could understand it? And is not it in keeping with His loving nature that He would make a way that is both clear to understand and is simple? It is not in keeping with God's nature of loving and trying to reach a broken, limited people that He would make it complicated and convoluted and you would have to go through all these steps to get to Him. Have you ever seen the thing? Sometimes there's signs. I've seen gospel tracts. They'll have how many different steps. And it's not... You know, laying out, okay, understanding you're a sinner, understanding Christ died for you. It's, you do this, this, this. And they all have a different number. You know, they all attack something else on. Here's what it is. Look unto me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth. You say, well, I don't think people will be very sincere. Well, God knows whether they're sincere or not. You'll not be saved by insincere looking, but God knows that. I got to say again to somebody last week, it was funny. They said, well, do you think... This or that is sincere. And I said, forgive me, my sincero meter broke. It doesn't work. 
I can't point at the people and have the needle peg out. And if you think you can, you're deluding yourself. You don't read people as well as you think you do. Just get over that. And just tell people how good God is. And look unto me and be saved. I'm glad for that. Very, very glad for that. Thank God for it. So look unto Him for salvation. Look in John chapter 12. Just a very simple thought this morning. John chapter 12. Look unto Him and be saved. Say, well, preacher, what's this business about look and look again? I'll show you in a moment. John chapter 12. By the time I get there, you should have read the whole chapter. There we are, okay. John chapter 12. And look, please, if you will, in verse 32. Jesus made this statement. He said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. That literally happened at the crucifixion. They took him and put him on that cross and raised him up and dropped that that cross down into a hole where they had for it. Can you imagine? The additional agony, Brother Robin, already pierced through in the hands and feet, already so bloody and beaten and to be jarred down into that hole. That's why in the Old Testament, it, it prophesies you'd be able to tell his bones. It dis, there's a dislocation that happened with that and the pain of that sort of thing. And so Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. He needs to be lifted up from the earth. He was. That literally happened at Calvary. Now, how do we lift him up? It's not through eloquence of speech. We lift him up by telling people what he did and who he is. That lifts him up. There is nothing that praises God better than his own works. So we don't need eloquence. We just need to tell people what he's done. Because his works praise him. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Look in John chapter 3. Of course, John 3.16, extremely well known. John chapter 3. And I'll not take a long time on it, but I draw your remembrance to this. In verse 14, Jesus speaking said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, a reference to Himself, be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not do what, church? perish, but have what kind of life? Everlasting. I wonder when everlasting life ends. If a preacher, it's everlasting. It doesn't end. That's a good point. You ought to remember that. Um, the, uh, somebody says, well, saved, always saved. No, the Bible never says that. What it says is everlasting, eternal, these type of things. Great stuff. Then verse 16, of course, extremely well known. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that What's the next word? Well, I declare that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have what type of life? Why is that? For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And it goes on and explains the condemnation is that lights come to the world. Men love darkness because their deeds were evil. But back to verse 14, it says, As the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, that refers to that time you know about when Moses was, was there and, and the children of Israel had, had so 
they complained and murmured against God that fiery serpents, meaning these poisonous snakes, were coming among them and biting them. People were dying from this. There was fear, terror. As they're walking in an area that's sandy ground where these snakes would be hard to see, their children are with them. They're trying to get away from them. I can't imagine that. My wife hates snakes. Terrified them. Hates them. And I can't imagine having her in an area like that where we didn't know where snakes were. When we went on vacation, we stayed at a little cabin in Elkins, North Carolina the first couple of nights, and my wife almost stepped on a snake. I told you about that. She levitated. I didn't know humans could levitate. There was a little stairway down beside that cabin, and she just had sandals on with a snake about that big around. I thought it was a boa constrictor, by the way she reacted to it. And it was a water snake. And uh, what are you doing here? And uh, she came straight. She came straight up off the ground and about flattened me. And I saw a little lizard take off. So all I saw Brother Steve. I thought she freaked out over a lizard. And I said to her, "It's just a lizard." And she goes, "That's not a lizard." And I looked at her, sure enough, that wasn't a lizard. And from then on, the rest of that trip, it was that's just a lizard. Um, so I can't imagine the terror and the people dying from it. And so what God told Moses to do, they took a serpent, made it out of brass, and put it on a pole. They took that serpent on the pole and lifted it up, and everyone who would look to that serpent up on that pole, they would be saved from those snakes. Now you think about what a beautiful picture that is. Uh, the natural reaction when you have a snake. When my wife saw that snake, she wasn't looking up to look at the clouds. Her attention was on that snake. In fact, the next night, she's like, are you sure they're not in now? Are you sure they're not in there? Believe me, we, I don't think we'll have one. Now, let me tell you, I threw enough cracks in that cabin, they could have come in anywhere they wanted to. But I'm going to tell her that, amen? Tell her that after we get out of there. But it's amazing stuff. So you're giving her a false hope. God's giving me some sleep. <laughs> but uh, this, uh, man, we're, we're there at, at this place, and I can guarantee you Mrs. Manning's attention was there. In fact, she walked around the cabin. We walked around outside to go down by the creek, and she's doing this. And she's doing this. And she's doing this. Why? Because she wasn't looking up to see if there were squirrels in the tree. She wouldn't know where that snake was. That would be our reaction, wouldn't it, if something was getting ready to bite us? Well, that's, that's humankind's reaction to sin. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. I'll do it. I'll earn. I'll, I'll become religious. I'll turn over a new leaf. I'll do this. I'll do that. You look at the snake. And God said, you can't get saved that way. He said, you've got to look up at the way I've provided. Amen, man. Quit looking at yourself. Look! Look unto me and be saved. And then look again. Look unto Him for salvation. Look unto Him for direct guidance. Now catch this. Look to Him for direct guidance. There are many commandments in the Bible which give us direct guidance and thank God for them. Thank God they give us guidance. And by the way, one passage I'm going to read to you, uh, at least one passage here, will be from the writings of Paul. Unless any of you in your mind say, well, you know, you're talking about Jesus and you're talking about Jesus giving us direct guidance, but you're talking about the writings of Paul. Well, let me, let me give you something you need to learn doctrinally. 1 Corinthians 14. See, I unapolog- 1 Corinthians 14. I unapologetically and emphatically believe that this King James Bible I have in my hand is the Word of God. I do not believe that one section of it is more the Word of God than another. If you do, you, my friend, are what is properly known as a hyper-dispensationalist. And you are incorrect about your relationship with the Scripture. And if I poke long enough, I would find out 
that you you take that as a uh, you use that uh, false doctrine as a license to excuse ignoring some clear commandments in the New Testament because you want to emphasize Jesus's words above the words that God gave to the apostles. It's all God's word. So just be very plain about it. No no apology here, and uh, it's it's just settled. And by the way. Look in verse 37 of 1 Corinthians 14. It's not a spurious thought. It's not one born out of a systematic theology course in, in college. Here's where that belief comes from. Look in verse 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you, if you want to check, Paul's writing there under the inspiration of God, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. You would have to be trying not to see something to miss that. Direct guidance. Look unto me and be saved. Thank God that's where it starts, but that's not where it ends. Um, <laughs> I, I, I so much this morning. I was between two, and I know I should have stayed with this. I'm very happy with, uh, I believe I landed on, but I was thinking of the thought here's where we are, here's where we're going, and here's how we're acting in between. And just a happy message. Look forward to appearing in a church near you. Um, they, but just a great message about realizing as children of God. Thank God's here. We're, here's where we are safe in the hands of Christ, safe in the love of God. Secure in the knowledge of Him. Thank God we're going to a place that's called heaven. Thank God we're going there one day. And in between, how are we going to behave in between? Learning to love the Lord, be useful unto Him, be vessels that He can use, how to serve Him, and how to be used in His life. What a great life it is to know Christ and be able to follow Him. And as I look at this thing, and I thank God that we get to look and to look again. We look to Him for salvation, but then we don't look away. There was a little honky-tonk so-called Christian song. When I first got saved, didn't know him better about anything. And uh, I still remember it. Jesus is my ticket to heaven. Some of you may know that song. If you do, please don't sing it. Um, and I'll be, I will not retaliate by singing it back to you. Um, but that song, the whole thing, I heard that as a young Christian. You know, I wrote the Christian song. Jesus is my ticket to Oh, that's pretty neat. I didn't know anything. You know, I just got saved. I had no clue about how vapid and shallow and nothing that was. Jesus isn't my ticket to heaven. Jesus isn't the big man upstairs. Jesus isn't my insurance policy from the fires of hell. He's the Lord of Lords. Amen. God of gods. He's my creator and yet loved me enough to be my substitute. Thank God. I don't even know how to comprehend that. And so, thank God that back in 1980 I could look to Him for salvation. But thank God every day. I mean every day. Every day I can look to Him for guidance. He gives guidance through his direct, direct verses that he gives with that. Look, if you will, and I'll give you some different verses. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and just not for any particular thing, I just thought, well, there's some commands that the Lord gives, and what did he say? And I'm not going to expound these, I'm just going to read these as example of the fact that he gives many things. 1 Thessalonians 5, direct guidance. I'm going to begin in verse 11. There's a lot of different things in this one. It says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. To edify is to build up, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. 
and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. The key to unity in the church there. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Look how simple this is. Warn them. Why? In a loving way. That are unruly. They're not. They're 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 disorderly. They're they're getting out of the way. They're doing things in a way that's hurtful and harmful. Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. And it's interesting. Um, we use the term feeble-minded. Kind of somebody says feeble-minded kind of an insult, that sort of thing. That's not the way the word is. The word feeble-minded means that it cannot bear as much of a burden. It's reached its burden limit. Now, let's. Someone thinks they're self-superior to somebody else who's reached that point in their life. People are constitutionally different. I would guarantee you if we could get an honest assessment and go through our congregation, just those in this room, not counting our junior churches going on right now, but if we were to go through here, we would find out that among us in here, there's a lot of different constitutional abilities. And by that, I mean your inherent strengths. Some folks in here can run very, very heavy schedules. They require very little sleep. There's a lot of physical stamina, and they can operate in a physical stamina way, which would just totally take somebody else out. Now, I'm not talking about someone's let their self, their health degenerate, and they've let themselves get so out of shape they can't do anything. I'm talking about just naturally; it's our natural tendency. Uh, my mom, constitutionally, was an incredibly strong lady. It was just crazy uh, what she could do and the schedule she could run and what she did with it. I know uh, at, her, uh, at her home going, Luke said to me, he said, you know, he calls me Pops. He said, you know, Pops, he said, if Mamma had had a decent body, she'd lived to be 200. And um, I think about truth of that. And it just amazed me. We used to, how many of you remember Karen Minks became Karen Stump? How many of you remember Karen came here? Uh, just, just a couple of you. She came here for a good while. I, oh man, I won't wear you out. I get, she'd go to bed. She'd go to bed 11, 11.30 at night, usually something like that. And I, she'd call me early in the morning. Hey, Pastor, I want to ask you about such. And she's already bouncing. Well, Karen, I said, what, what are you doing? Oh, I, I, I don't need over about three and a half, four hours sleep at the most. She'd get up. I'd make three or four angel food cakes. And I'm like, man. You seriously run like that all the time? She ran like that all the time. I'm like, keep it to yourself. I don't want to know. And I don't think it was pharmaceutically induced. I think it was just natural. We were clearing off the property up there in that meadow up there. That thing, you couldn't even walk into it because of the brush and the brambles. And I said, let's have a work day. First one to show up was her. Leather gloves on. She took off in through it. She looked, she looked, like, a, she looked like a bush hog going through there. She took, I mean, literally, just... Worked and worked, never took a break, and I'm like, whoa. They're different, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to run with too much. I went to had a fellow I worked with in the roof. I saw him walk, work a 41 hour shift. 41 hours doing work. I mean, he was moving shingles from skid to skid and everything. After 41 hours, Bill looked at his watch and said, I get a little tired, I'm going to go home now. That was also not pharmaceutically induced. I asked I ask his wife, I says, he always been like that? Because they knew each other in high school. She said, always. Back before all the computers, she said, he drove a truck, ran a double log book, never got tired. I'm like, anybody here want to commit to making up for everything they're missing on sleep? Anybody want to do that? You're going to fill in the gap. Amen. There you go. <laughs> I'll do that. I'll fill in the gap. These people are not filling their quota of sleep. I'll fill it in for them. I mean, some of y'all can't make it through a 30-minute message. Of course, how would you know? I never preach one. But <laughs> that's point eight. <laughs> I, I, I did not hear on purpose. I was blind eyed up here. I, I'll make it an effort here. 
But we accept the fact we're constitutionally different, don't we, as far as that. Now here, I'll show you this. I said I wasn't going to expound it, and then I started into the word, and that happens. But being feeble-minded is there's, all of us have a limit point. There is a point at which things overwhelm. There's a point at which you can just kind of go numb or unable to cope with things. The Bible says comfort. Well, that's good guidance, isn't it? I'm not talking about the person whose permanent job is being a victim. You know them. They're easy to spot. Every sentence starts with either I or so. And you spot them. But there are people, man, they need help. They need help. I just, my heart was moving. This lady yesterday, I thought, how overwhelming would that be? Husband goes off to work. He's 30 years old. No health problems you know of. Next thing you know, they find him dead in his work truck. A house full of kids. Anybody think that might be a bit much? Hit you all at once? I, I look around this congregation. I see people who've had a bit much hit them all at once. But we had a, we had a comfort. What do we, what, how do we comfort them? Well, how about, uh, how about remind them how good the Lord is? Not being trite about things. How about, just, how about just staying steady with them? That's a good thing, isn't it? We could do that. Let's go on down with this so I never get done if I don't get done. That was profound. Um, it says, comfort the feeble-minded, verse 14. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. I need a dose of that. Anybody else need a dose of that? I do. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. Hey, look. Look again. Now you save people. I'm a saved person. Let's look again. Now we're supposed to, we're Christians. That's supposed to mean something. Yeah. Followers of Christ. That's supposed to mean something. We've got a lot to learn, don't we? We've got a lot to learn about following Him. Thank God He goes with us. And every step you make in the right direction, He helps you along with that. He won't leave you alone that way. He, he'll help you. He'll help you do what you ought to do if you head the right direction. And then He says there, He says, patient towards all men, see none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks. It doesn't say for everything give thanks. <laughs> I'm glad. But in everything I can give thanks. There's some things for which I'm not particularly thankful in which I can still give thanks because God's with me. In everything give thanks. And by the way, that's not always a first response, but I believe if you want to follow the Lord, your heart will come back to that. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Looking unto Him for guidance. You want to know God's will for your life? Here it is. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Oh, that's an easy verse to quote until it's hard. It's an easy verse to quote until it's real hard. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's the truth of that. Uh, it, it says, uh, quench not the Spirit. May God help us not to do that. Despise not prophesying. Oh, may we learn when the book's open and we learn the Word. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look and look again. Look for direct guidance. Look in 2 Corinthians 6. Quickly turn there. 2 Corinthians 6. Hey, you've looked to Him for salvation. Look again. And look again. And every day, look again. And look for direct guidance from what the Scripture says to do or not to do. I don't think anybody who sits in this room this morning would be brazen enough to take a pair of scissors and cut part of their Bible out and cast it aside and put it in the trash. I think even the thought of that makes your mind recoil. But do our decisions and actions 
our relationships ever do that? As if entire parts of the Bible don't even exist. 2 Corinthians 6. Look in verse 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship, it's an issue of fellowship, hath righteousness with unrighteousness. What communion, it's, a, it's an issue of communion, hath light with darkness. And what concord, it has, it's an issue of concord or agreements made, hath Christ with Belial. Or what part, it's a matter of an inheritance or what you have coming to you, hath he that believeth with an infidel. And what agreement, how can you agree on something you're totally at odds about, hath the temple of God with idols. For ye are the temple of the living God. Look and look again. If you're saved, you are the temple of the living God. You are. This is a building that houses the church. It should be dealt with respectfully. It was built on the tithes of God's people and the effort and work of their hands. Your children should be taught while they may play. They should not be running wild. You need to enforce that. And you need to know where your kids are. You need to know what's going on with them after the services. They need to be respectful towards the house of God. And so we have that here. But this is a building. Yes, we should be respectful. Yes, it should be done right. Yes, it should be well maintained. But this is a building that we put around the true church of God, which is the people of God. Ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are. That means you take Him wherever you go. That means you subject Him to whatever you look at. That means He has to hear whatever you say. Let's be careful what we do. It says here, it says, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Uh, it says the, the living God, the temple of the living God is what it says in verse 16. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them. Come out from among whom? Unbelievers, the infidels, the unrighteous and that. You say, are you talking about isolation? Neither the Bible nor I are talking about isolation. We're talking about the, the next word, the next uh, little phrase here, and be you separate. We're talking about separation. You don't live as they live. Not talking about isolation, monasticism, type of thing where you pull yourself away and live in some kind of little seclusion, thinking you're holier than everything around you. It's where you live like you are holy because God lives inside of you. And you don't run to the excess and you don't follow in the same way and you don't approach life the same way. It's where you are in this world as salt and as light, not as salt which has lost its savor, which is good for nothing to be trodden under the foot of men. Look and look again. And you look to be saved. Now look again how to live. I said to my Sunday school class, I've said to you before, you come to church to learn how to live. If that has not been your motive coming to church, it needs to be the major motive that you have for coming to church. Because we are here to be instructed from the Word of God so we know how to live as God would have us live in this present world and be a good, good example, a good witness for Him. And so it says there, it says, Come out from among them, be a separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And look at this sweet relationship that results because of that. And will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. He said there will be a sweet, close relationship. For some of you, that's an unusual thing because relationship with the father, the relationship with the mother was not that type of relationship or unfortunately is not that type of relationship. There are even some of you who have been have suffered abuse at the hands of those who should have been best to you. But let me tell you something, especially to you, especially to you, you need to learn more and more about your Heavenly Father and find out what a real loving Father is like. Find out how good He is. Find out about His patience. 
Find out what you mean to him. Dare to believe the verses that mention how much you mean to God. Dare to believe the verses that tell about the price he paid for you and resultantly what your value is. And learn to walk in the comfort and in the power of God. You'd be amazed what it'll do. To teach you how to love. Teach you how to allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to care about other people. And to be strong enough to actually grow in your relationships. I'm telling you, we have an amazing God this morning. An absolutely amazing God. Look! Look to be saved. Look again for direct guidance. And then let me say to you in closing this morning, let's look to Jesus for our example. I say to you often in my preaching, Jesus, of course, is our greatest example. We've got great examples with some of the apostles and some of the prophets and stuff in the Bible. You know, Matthew, I like finding Bible characters. You can look and kind of see how things played out. But every one of them messed something up. I mean, Joseph is probably the man in the Bible. Either Joseph or Daniel would be hard to know which, which you will find least problem with at all. You know, we find David, there's a great sin. And by the way, you or I, we can't hide behind David's sin. David was a man after God's heart, and he did this. He didn't do that while he was after God's heart. That's right. And brought generations of misery on his family. So don't try to hide behind his nonsense. But the two men in the Bible that that are just men, we probably have the best track record anyway you'll find are Daniel and Joseph. Now, Daniel, that just carries through. He's amazing. You know, he had he had hundred he basically had 120 politicians following him around trying to find mud on him, couldn't find it. Now that's quite a feat. I mean, read about it, really, it's in there. But even Joseph, he kept bringing his brothers back time and again. I mean, he was mighty good to him, but he did make him squirm a little bit. You see Paul messing with the magistrates and stuff. Getting hard-headed and going to Jerusalem. I talked about that the other day when he wasn't supposed to go. The spirits expressly told him not to and he's, I'm going anyway. Uh-huh. That's people. So they're imperfect examples. But when you come to Christ, you have a great example. So isn't that always a good thing? I mean, it's sort of like the difference, especially if you're learning some sort of a trade. You know, something you're actually going to do instead of just, you know, head knowledge that, you know, will get you in debt for student loan and you might get a job as a Walmart greeter and that's about it. Um, because we know the answer to everything is run up about $100,000 in student loan debt and have a degree that may or may not be useful anymore. Might be a better way of going about establishing your life. Anyway, another sort of a different thought. But, with that said, you're learning a trade, actually learning how to do something. It's one thing to be taught how to do it, but it's something different if you can be around someone who knows how to do it. Because you watching and being with them and, and seeing what's going on gives you that example you need. You looked under Jesus for salvation. We look under for direct guidance with the Scripture. But let's take Scripture where in Ephesians, be kind, tenderhearted one another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And we see that. We say, okay, we're supposed to be kind. We're supposed to be tenderhearted. We're supposed to forgive one another. We're trying to see that. We say, okay, that's a great truth. But then we look to Jesus' as example of that and we see Him in the battered, bloody condition that He's at on the Calvary, looking out in a crowd which has asked for a murderer to be given to them instead of Himself with a Roman governor who is executing Him on false charges basically of insurrection 
that he had made himself a king and people were following him, while he releases a man who did cause insurrection and people were killed in that, and all the hypocrisies of what was going on and all the, the venom and hatred of the crowd that no matter what was said to him, they became more and more fierce and vehement and said, crucify him! We don't just want him dead! We want him butchered! And they wanted to watch it. And you had people coming together who didn't even like each other who came together and were made friends because of the crucifixion of Christ. The one thing they had in common was they wanted him destroyed. He saw the betrayal what a deep hurt that is of one of his own followers. He saw all the other ones scatter from him. And he looks out over it, seeing all the degradation of humanity, catching all the venom, all the vileness of mankind being hurled at him. And from his broken lips come forth the eternal statement, Father, you know the next word, forgive me, for they know not. And even there on the cross, on one side of him is a thief who started out mocking him. Who at some point during that whole process, his heart changed. And when he said to Christ, all sincerity, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. He looks over at this one who had been mocking him at the beginning. Can you imagine the exertion of even speaking in the condition Christ was in? And said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. We see him make sure his mother is cared for. We see all that he does while he is dying in a butchered condition. That adds a little something to forgive him, doesn't it? It makes the hurts we've had seem very small in comparison. It makes the grudges that we hold so dear to our hearts seem so petty. It makes the venom that we feel for others appear so poisonous as it is. Look to Him, they say. Look to Him for guidance. And thank God we can look to Him always have a perfect example. So my question this morning is simple. Who are we looking to? The one to whom you look is the one to whom you will go. I may pray with you. Father, thank You for Your Word, Your people, the clear Gospel. I ask you first, as you look at us here, Lord, and you see our hearts, you know exactly in this room who belong to you and who do not. It was a real good day. You were very kind on that day when you showed me I did not. And conviction of the Holy Ghost came. Lord, if I have spoken this morning to someone who is not yours, will you show them that? May not just be my words, but will you show them that and put them under conviction? Perhaps you already are, Lord. I pray that they'll recognize it for what it is and realize you're trying to get their attention. They'd be like John and lived over the hill here. Five months ago, he went back in the house. Lord, you know that while I was talking to him about the gospel. A month ago, he went off into eternity. God, I pray that no one this morning will ignore your dealing. And then for your people those who belong to you. May they keep looking. And if their eyes have been averted and diverted to something else, some other thing, Lord, may they please get their eyes back on you. Bless, please, this time as a holy time for people to do business with you in their heart, please. 
Let me ask you with your heads bowed, eyes closed, please no one disturb anything. I'll lay no trap for you. I'll not come to you or do anything out of the way. But how many of you this morning, you're not ashamed to name the name of Christ? You said, I, Jesus is my Savior. I trust Him. You'd slip your hand up and say, that's my case here, preacher. You put your hands down. For you, I would say this. Look again. If your eyes have been taken aside, if, if you've been overwhelmed, if, if things have just gotten... You just don't know how they spiraled like they did. Look again for guidance and for example. If you didn't raise your hand, and by not raising your hand, you're admitting that you don't know Christ. Look unto Him and be saved. We're trying to get all the answers nailed down and realize He is the answer. You can trust Him. You've got to get it all figured out. All you do is trust Him. He has it figured out. This morning you can do that. I'm going to ask you to stand just a moment when we do. There'll be people perhaps praying. And as we do, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you get one of our attention? Would you let us talk to you from the Scripture? Please don't leave this room without knowing Him. Please don't leave this place having heard the Gospel without knowing Christ as your Savior. Let's stand together, please. Got to make your way to the altar. And as we have a song of invitation, would you come? Got to look again. Where's your eyesight been? Look again. Look again. Look again. The direction in which you look is the direction in which you will go. Look unto Him be saved. How about you this morning? Do you know Christ is your Savior? Morning back in 1980 when I got saved. I'm glad my preacher gave an invitation. I'm glad he didn't just hurry to get done with the service. I'm glad the congregation there was not all trying to get out the doors so what they could do next. I'm glad there was a farmer sitting down here in the front when a teenage boy walked out. He knelt down with me. How about you this morning? Did you out of honesty not raise your hand? Were you being honest before God and saying, I don't know, I'm not saved, I don't know. Well, may that honesty keep building. May you put your trust in Him. Well, I've been around church a lot. Don't matter what you've been around a lot. Look unto Him, be saved. Well, I try to be good. Don't matter how much good you try to be. There's none righteous, no, not one. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We need Him. Look unto Him. Look unto Him. You came in, sat in this room, looked up towards this pulpit, expected me to give you a message. I've given you a message from the Word of God. Now the message is this. Now look unto Christ. You didn't come here to look to me. Look to Christ. You need the next step in your life, what you ought to be doing, look to Him. Look to Him. That's what you should do. with you as best I know how.
it'll be my prayer that when you leave out of here today that the Spirit of God will continue to plead with you and you'll not shut your ears to it. Father, thank you for your word. I commend these people unto you through your word and ask you to work with them, please. Amen. God bless you. And thank you very much for coming to service today.